Welcome to the 21st Century Church podcast. Please check out our website at 21stcenturychurch.co.uk for more information. We'd love to connect with you, so head over to our Facebook and Instagram pages. Enjoy this message from our senior pastor, Stefan Jones. Well, it's my last sermon in my 20s, Sunday. I know hitting 30 this week, so I'm going to need some counseling afterwards if you want to help me out with some advice. Seb told me since being 30, it's different because he's into weird things now. He fancies fishing and gardening all of a sudden, and so um, maybe we're all going to go fishing. I don't know. That's it. So um, so for my last, last preach in my 20s, going out with a bang, um, something really nice and easy, um, I just want to point out, okay, if you thought last week someone was controversial, we're going up a notch, but it's not my fault. It's Jesus' fault, okay? So, uh, so you've got to go to Jesus. I didn't choose this topic, but it's in the Sermon on the Mount, and we've said we won't skip God's word, so we're not going to skip God's word, are we? No, it's, we're not going to do that. It's the manifesto of the kingdom, Christianity 101. Jesus wanted us to hear about it. So if you are not here visiting, by the way, we're not normally so controversial. So come along next week, and how you want preaching, and it's a, it's a little bit, you know, what? It's still the Sermon on the Mount, but, you know, it's a... Oaths and things, so you know, it's a little bit there. But Christianity 101, part six, marriage and divorce. Breathe. (laughs) Breathe. Right from the beginning, I want you to know two things in all seriousness. Firstly, the Church of Jesus Christ is here to love everybody. Everybody is loved. Everybody is welcome, whatever your marital status, there is no judgment here. This is a place of grace and love and healing and wholeness, okay? I want you to know that. I want you all to repeat after me. God loves me. He's for me. He's not against me. He has a great plan for my life. Okay. Now, if it's getting a bit hot under the collar as we're going through here, repeat that to yourself, okay? Remember that truth. God loves you. He is for you. His word is good for you. Second, I want to tell you this. The gospel stance on this issue is good news for everybody. It is. Now, we're going to have to wrestle with some tough texts to get there. But my prayer is that just follow me through this morning. And when we get to the end... I hope that we all leave here more convinced of the love of God than we were before. And believe in that, okay? This is good news for everybody. God is love and his ways are love. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to get into this. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we believe in faith that all of it, all of it comes from a place of love and life for us. Lord, I pray would you help us to hear your word, to apply it this morning, but also to know, Lord, to know, to know that you love us and you want the best for us and we trust you in everything. In Jesus' name, and we all said together, amen, amen. Okay, well, what I wanted to do was, before we get to the actual text, before we examine the kingdom way, because this series, Sermon on the Mount, is all about the kingdom lifestyle, the kingdom way, I thought it's worth, at the beginning, analyzing what the world says about this topic and where we're at. Let's assess where we're at in the West and what the West thinks about this. I would say the world, but actually most of the world doesn't agree with the West. But what's the West's take on this? Over the last 50 years, there's been a massive shift in the West on this topic. Divorce has gone from being something on the margins to being something 
that is mainstream. In 1961, there were 27,000 divorces per year in the UK. In 1971, the Divorce Reform Act was passed, and the divorce rate has since exploded. Between 2000 and 2010, we've had 150,000 divorces each year. Over the decade, that equates to one and a half million divorces in one decade. That involves two people. So three million people got divorced in one decade in the UK. That's the whole population of Wales. And the sales pitch of the world is basically this, that marriage is a private arrangement between two parties for your happiness and gratification, end of. And if it ceases to become that, then you're free to just ditch it. If you're no longer in love, if they no longer make you happy, if the feels are no longer there, just leave. To hell with what anyone else says, to hell with the consequences. You do you, is what our culture says. I've had someone tell me that they wanted to get divorced because they were no longer in love. They now have things called divorce parties. That's actually a thing. I've been in a nightclub where the DJ shouted out that someone was getting divorced and everyone went, yeah. And went, woo, that happened. We've had 50 years of this mass social experiment in the UK where we've embraced a rampant individualism where it's all just about how I feel in the moment. And society has acted on that belief. And N.T. Wright has summed it up so well in his commentary on the passage. We're about to say, well, as individuals, we believe now that we have a right to happiness which overrides all considerations. We believe we have a right to happiness at all times, which overrides everything of loyalty, keeping vows, and the duty to bring up lovingly the children one has brought into the world. Now, fair enough, if that's what our culture wants to believe, God has given us free will. But how has that actually worked out? Let's leave the Bible. We've had 50 years now to assess this. Let's look at the scientific studies what has been the effect of a society that has embraced divorce in such a short period of time on such a mass scale? Well, for the people directly involved, psychologists agree that divorce is one of the most traumatic things that you can ever go through. Christopher Compton wrote a book on this, and he admitted he found the pain of his divorce worse than the pain of losing his sons. The pain for the people involved, and for some people in this room, you would know this, is enormous. But it's not a limited private pain. And this is where there's been a lie that marriage is just a thing between two people that doesn't affect anyone else. Beyond the two people who got divorced, there's been a massive social cost that's affected all of us. We live in a fatherless generation in many ways now. Of the 60,000 children living in care in the UK, and that stat alone is just heartbreaking that there's 60,000 children in care in the UK, 98% are due to family breakdown, 98%. Children who grow up in Maori, two-parent families have two to three times more positive life outcomes than those who don't. Children from broken homes make up 80% of the population of Britain's psychiatric units. Studies have found children from broken homes are twice as likely to suffer with psychiatric units, illness, suicide attempts, and alcohol abuse. 
They suffer lower self-esteem. They're more likely to engage in sexual activity at a younger age. They're more likely to use drugs. They're more likely to be sexually abused. They score lower on tests. They're more destructive for school. They have higher levels of aggression. They're more likely to end up in unemployed or in less well-paid jobs. The cost for the children, for the next generation, has been an enormous price. You know, on a personal level, I don't talk about it a lot, but even for me, I mean, I was an adult with this affecting me, but it still hurt a lot more than I expected. It was, it's, it's like grieving. It's a pain that is hard to imagine. And for a child, it's, I can't even imagine it. And God sees all this pain and all this destruction. And his response is not to tell us, bury your head in the sand and say it's all fine and sing kumbaya. His nature weeps at this. See, the way of the world isn't working. But it's 2019 mentality isn't working. It's in no position to judge here. So maybe it's time that we tried a new way. The kingdom way. So with that mess in the background, I pray that each and every one of us here is going to hear Jesus out on this. And is going to go through with what he says. So we're going to read two passages. We're going to read the Sermon on the Mount, but it's quite short there. But Jesus comes back to it later in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's a bit longer, so we're going to get to that as well. So here we go. Matthew 5, verse 31 and 32. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, Matthew 19. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, well, if this is a situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. Classic disciples being honest as usual. <laughs> and Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. If you want my one thought that sums up what Jesus is saying here, my one thing for this morning, it's this. What God has made one should not be undone. What God has made one should not be undone. Now, there's no getting around it here. Jesus takes a hard line on divorce, especially for our culture standards. But I want to remind you what I said at the start, okay? God loves you. And this is good news for everyone. We're going to get there and explain that. It is good news for everyone. So this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to split this up into three parts with three questions. First, we're going to ask the question, why? Why this stance? Second, we're going to ask, what should we practically do in response? And thirdly, we're going to ask, 
how is this good news for everyone? How does this fit in with a God who loves me? So go with me, follow me all the way through here, okay? So the first question is this, why? Now the first thing we want to ask with passages like this is, why would a God who loves me say something like that? It's okay to be honest when you read the Bible, by the way. You're meant to wrestle with it. God seems a bit harsh here. Jesus seems a little bit hard. We know 1 John 4, God is love. Yet here, he's taking a hard line. If God is love, why is it we read passages like Malachi 2 verse 16, where it says, for I hate divorce, says Yahweh, the God of Israel. It's not often you hear a phrase where God says, I hate in the Bible, by the way. God is love, but he hates divorce. That's something for us to wrestle with. And R.T. France, the Tyndall commentator, he's pointing out what the key to understanding this is, the why is. He says, this radical refusal, and note this is radical. This radical refusal to recognize the validity of divorce is going to be grounded on God's original purpose in creation, that marriage is forever. See, what was going on at the time was this. There were two schools of thought in that day. There was a more liberal school of thought and there was a more hardline school of thought. And the liberal school of thought that was popular at the time said that a man could divorce a woman, not the other way around, for any reason, at any time. All he had to do was write a certificate and have two witnesses and there was no right of reply. So to illustrate this, I've made a little certificate of divorce here for my wife. And so uh, I've said, I, Stefan, divorce you, Marlene, because you said you'd watch Star Trek and wrestling with me. And you never do. So I've signed it. S.G. Jones here. There's lots of people, witnesses. So there you are. That would be it. <laughs> Fair. Fair enough, fair enough. To be honest, I felt so bad writing it, I put jokes, obs, and a smiley face and a heart on it. So obviously, obviously, I was joking. I love you, baby. For, for, for life. Not for eternity, as you like to say, until death has two parts, because that's a, that's a thing. And anyone else have this with married couples where one says, oh, we're going to be married forever. And then you say, no, till death. In heaven, we can't be married anymore. And then we've got a deal where she's saying, okay, can we be special friends? So hopefully we don't cause a second fall by sinning in heaven. Um, but, you know, special friends is what will be. But anyway, that's a whole other sermon for another topic. But Jesus is saying to them, so that's what they're saying, you know, Jesus, is it all right to just divorce anyone for any reason? And Jesus is like, no, no, it's not okay to do that. You know, not, it's not right to do that, boys. And he doesn't just say, no, and that's the way it is. Don't ask why. He says, why? He quotes Genesis. And then he says, which is the words in a marriage service, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, that's one of my favorite bits when you hold the hands together and it's really real. What God has joined together that no one put asunder. He's saying here this powerful thing of that. Jesus is saying that we should refuse to undo what God has joined together. Divorce should be seen as man's attempt to separate what God has made into a new holy thing. That's what we should see it as. I've got, I've got another set. I've got a visual here. Andy Stanley put it like this, and we've got a little video up. It's kind of like something similar. 
if you take two things, the male and the female there, that are different, you join them together, it becomes like a new purple thing. And, and it's lovely. That's like the wedding day. And Jesus is saying this. How do you undo that? What God has made into a new one flesh union, it's, you can't undo it. You can separate it, but you'll never go back to as you were even then. Even where divorce is permitted, it's still going to cause a mess. It's still going to be painful. It's still going to be something that is going to be very difficult to go through. It's not God being harsh. It's not God being mean and wanting to punish. It's the way God has set up creation to be. That is the natural consequence of he has made us. It's a high holy view of sex and marriage we have in the gospel. And so undoing it is basically very, very difficult, if not impossible. When you try and tear apart something God has made one flesh, the rupture will cause a mess. See, what God has made one should not be undone. It kind of can be, but you shouldn't do it. It's very difficult. Now, we're going to get to the concessions in a minute. But the general rule, right, before we get to the exception to the rule, the general rule is what God has made one should not be undone. It shouldn't be undone. Okay, so that's the why, and hopefully we get God's point here, even if it's begrudgingly so question two is, okay, well, what should we do then? What should we do with this? Okay, so I want to speak to three groups here because this is relevant to three groups of people in a different way. And the first group I want to talk to is the singles here. Now, to the singles, you might think, well, this preach has got nothing to say to me. But it does. I would believe that what Jesus' teaching is conveying to you very loudly this morning is this. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. So where the disciples respond by saying, well, if this is a situation, it's better not to marry, which is a bit late because some of them we know were already married. So, and Jesus doesn't say, oh, don't worry, I'm being a bit dramatic. He kind of says, well, not everyone can accept this word. And then he's got the whole thing about you. Next, he's basically saying, you can be single if you want, or you can be married. Both are good in the kingdom of God, as we covered last week. But weigh it up. Don't rush Choose wisely. Now, I've always been a little bit terrified by um, the vows in a wedding service. I remember being in a wedding. I'm not entirely sure even whose wedding it was, but I was sitting just there, just the top of the corner, and I was watching my father, who was the pastor then, marrying two people. And when they got to that bit where they say, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death has two part, and the bride and the groom are smiling at each other. I felt like I was sweating up there, just listening to it, thinking, do they realize what they're saying? Do they realize the weight that they're vowing before God? And then when it came to my wedding day, I would like to say that I didn't feel anything, but I did not sleep well the night before. I, I will tell you right now, I'm going to be honest. S sorry, baby. But I was, you know, in Sean's attic with Seb and Andrew there and just <laughs> thinking, oh my gosh, I'm about to make these vows and I, I do love Miles, but the, the weight of it terrified me. And I remember standing there, but then, you know, when I saw her come down and that's when I got a bit teary and it was, it was, it was all wonderful, okay? But... There is a weight to the vows. There is a weight to it. So choose wisely. 
consider character. Don't just go off looks or connection. Find out how much they earn. Okay? <laughs> Joke, okay? So we can still have, have jokes in church. But Proverbs 31, verse 30, okay? This, is, this was like my life verse for a few years, was this. And I've preached on it actually sometime, I think, last year or this year. It says in Proverbs, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. In other words, don't just go for someone who's flirtatious, because that can trick you. Don't just go for looks, because they don't last. It's true. But someone who feel I mean, we can still be good-looking as we get older, okay? But I'm not even going to go in there. I'm just digging a hole. <laughs> this is the word of God, all right? Beauty is fleeting, scripture. But a woman who fears the Lord, or a man who fears the Lord, is going to be praised. In other words, look for someone who lives in awe of God. Look for someone who is a person of integrity, who is following Jesus. Let that be the first thing that you look for. Now, this obviously means, although it's a whole other minefield, but in for a penny, in for a pound. If you're a Christian, Scripture is urging you to go for another Christian. And my advice is to if you're not a Christian and you're visiting, don't marry a Christian. They're going to do your head in. They're going to be always asking you to come to church and read the Bible, okay? So I would even urge you, it's, it's going to be, that was kind of a joke, but 1 Corinthians 7 actually says this, that Paul's advice is if someone is widowed, if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. Paul does say that. He must belong to the Lord. Now, why am I saying this? Firstly, because you can go on the journey together and share the deepest part of what you have but also because it will increase your odds of success. In the US, one out of every two and a half marriages ends in divorce. One out of every two and a half. But a study was done that showed if a couple are married by a minister, they attend church regularly, they read the Bible and pray together on a regular basis, the divorce odds are then one out of 1,105. That's the difference Jesus makes. Now, it didn't just say Christians. It didn't just say someone who ticks the box or comes to church every now and again. It means someone who's full on. Praying and reading the Bible together regularly. And if you do that and you keep that up, your odds of divorce plummet. See, the kingdom's way is better than the world's way. Imagine the pain and destruction that would be avoided in our society if everyone did this. Where divorce is something so rare that you barely knew anyone who'd experienced it. That's the kingdom way. Now for me and Mars, you know, this is something we don't do enough, but we've been trying to by gaming it in, in doing some devotions together. And when you do that, there's a, it's powerful and it's really intimate. It's like you're bearing your soul with the other person in a, in a very vulnerable way and there's a power there that bonds you together. If you are a married couple and you hurt, do it. Read the Bible together. Pray together. Share what you learned together. So singles, do it God's way and trust him. And you will reap the rewards of it. The odds are all in your favor if you do so. And after following Jesus, the next best decision I ever made was marrying my wife whom I love with all my heart. And she is such a blessing. And the truth is, 28th of June 2007, marriage slumped in the UK to its lowest level since records began 150 years ago. Marriage is under attack, but what I want to tell you is don't let divorce put you off marriage because marriage is precious and beautiful. So yes, treat it with holy awe, 
and fear almost, but it's a blessing that God has given for the good to bless it. It's precious and it's wonderful and it's to be protected. See, what God has made one should not be undone. So choose wisely. Okay, group two, the married couples. What should you do? Now, although this teaching is for everyone on some level, when I was looking back over my, uh, we covered this in Christian ethics in a lecture in college, and Amanda Ferguson, who's amazing, and Robert's wife, and they're an amazing team. But she kind of told us, you know, the teaching on divorce is aimed at the married, not the divorced. The teaching on divorce is primarily aimed at the married, not the divorced. So if you're married here, Jesus wants your attention this morning. What should you do? Married couples, Jesus would say, invest massively and concede reluctantly. Invest massively and concede reluctantly. Now, I don't want to repeat myself, but I'll, you know, it's key to understanding what you're a part of. The Reverend Dr. Graham Tomlin, last week he said sex, and obviously then marriage, is the mysterious, ecstatic union of two created beings who are bound together inextricably in a lifelong permanent bond. We are on holy ground. Your marriage is something holy. So treat it as such. Fight for it. Protect it. Invest in it. It's holy ground. It's something holy. You know, my grandmother is a font of questionable wisdom. Um, some of her sayings are definitely not biblical. Which is, it'll come back on you. Which is karma, not Christianity. So sometimes it's very old covenant, but it is biblical. Be sure your sin will find you out. That's one of her favorites. Josh was amazed to find out that actually is in the Bible, but she likes that one. But another thing she often says is she quotes my uncle Howell, who was a Baptist minister and Ems his dad. And he said this back then, because he's, he's passed away since then. The devil wants to break up Christian families. He's out to do it. So don't be complacent. The devil would love to see your marriage destroyed. We have an enemy whose mission statement is steal, kill, destroy. So make it a spiritual priority to invest deeply into your marriage. Invest deeply. Pray together. Read the Bible together. Communicate with each other. Be friends. Again, Scripture commands married couples, keep having sex. Keep the romance alive. Keep enriching the union. If the grass is greener on the other side, water your own side. <laughs> Take care of it. We're actually going to be having marriage courses running soon. So Matthew and Ruth are going to be facilitating it, and we're going to be having our first pilot one coming up. Me and Miles are going on it. Hywin and Josh are going on it. You guys need it. So uh, we can all know that from the sermons, okay? So uh, you guys need it. But we're going to be piloting that, but that's actually going to be ongoing as well, because as a church, we want to invest in the marriages in the house. And we're also having pre-marriage courses, which are already running. Salad and Becca have been doing it. And it's going to be now a requirement that if you want to get married in this church, you're going to have to go on the pre-marriage course with Matthew and Ruth. And they are terrible, strict interrogators. So you're going to have a tough... No, they're not. They're lovely. So uh, you can chat them if you want to know about future ones and be put your name down. But what about then if things are not great, if things are going wrong? Concede reluctantly. I'm going to read you from the Reverend Nicky Gumbel in the Jesus Lifestyle for him to say it. 
So for those who are married, it's essential to do all that we can to avoid divorce. Even if the process of divorce has begun, it's never too late. In Christ, there is no such thing as irretrievable breakdown. If your partner is seeking to divorce you, it is important to explore every possibility of reconciliation. We should believe that reconciliation is always a possibility, even at the very last minute. If you're in the process of divorcing your partner, think again. Even those who have been at the receiving end of gross misconduct should still be willing to seek reconciliation. As Christians, we have to do everything in our power to avoid divorce and to bring about reconciliation. As a last resort, we may have to concede reluctantly. Now, the next section is a bit sad, but I will highlight it. Um, I don't really want to speak it, but there it is. What are the circumstances then that scripture does permit divorce? Well, the Australian Christian churches, which was the denomination Hillsong were a part of when we were there, they ratified their stance on divorce in 2007, and they give three grounds why divorce is permitted. Divorce on the basis of sexual immorality, divorce on the basis of abandonment, and divorce on the basis of severe physical abuse. Now, there's no widespread agreement between the denominations on the exact details of the three, but let me give you the scriptures for the three briefly. Adultery, it's there in the text. I tell you that anyone divorces his wife except for sexual immorality. And the reason is because in adultery, it automatically annuls the marriage because a new sexual union has now taken place. So the commentator points that out, by the way, that's not my words. So the divorce is already recognizing what's already happened in a way. By engaging in a new union with someone else, the divorce is kind of done. Now, you can still take them back and remarry, so to speak. You can do that. It's not a have to. God doesn't say you have to do it. It's a permitting that if you want to walk away at that point, you can. Abandonment. 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul notes, if you're married to a non-Christian and they're happy to stay married with you, don't divorce them. He's clear on that. Don't divorce them on that basis. But he does go on to say, if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. And he does go on to say, how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? But Paul's point is here is that if you're married to a non-Christian and they're willing to stay married, stay. But if, if they're not, if you're married to a non-Christian and they, they don't want it anymore and they want to go off, then you're free, you're free in that case to leave it go. Last one is physical abuse. Now, there's nothing directly in the New Testament, but I think it can be inferred as a principle from Exodus 21, where it says about if he marries another woman, so he's assuming in this culture people would sometimes marry more than one wife. If he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and marital rights. If he does not provide her with these three things, she's to go free without any payment of money. So the interpretation here is, is that if the husband is physically harming the wife, depriving her of her basic needs, so you know not being able to eat and that kind of thing, she's free to go. Now you can debate that one, how we interpret it, but I think it's, you can kind of infer what it's saying. But again, I want to emphasize that the fact we have to consider these things is really sad. And it's testament to the fact that we live in a fallen world, that things are not as they were. The Pharisees in the passage actually say to Jesus, Moses commanded us to do this. But if you notice, Jesus corrects them. He says, no, no, Moses permitted you because your hearts were hard. It's a concession to sin. It's not a command. 
It's not God's intention. R.T. France notes in the commentary, Jesus is refusing to allow a necessary concession to human sinfulness to be elevated into a divine principle. We're not meant to focus on the concession. Our expectation as we approach marriage is meant to be on the ideal, on heaven's standard. If we're forced to choose a lesser evil, it still remains a sad evil. And as a church, we want to help marriages. We want to have marriage courses and love and support. But we will never be the ones to tell anyone to have a divorce, ever. We will love them and support them and walk with them through it. But that's something for the individual before God to make the choice. It's not something that we would say. And actually, I want to make that very clear, that if someone has advised you to do that or you hear anything like that, that is not on the authority of the church or on Jesus Christ. Nowhere does Jesus say you should do it. It's a concession that you can choose in the circumstance and will walk through you, walk with you in it. But it's never a saying you should do it. So to the married couples, what should we do? Well, the word would tell us, invest massively before it gets there. Water your side of the fence. Go deep. Fight for your family. It's a spiritual battle. Don't give up. Concede reluctantly. And the truth is this. If I were to tell you anything else, you should call me a hypocrite and not listen to a word else I say on any sermon. Because for me to say anything else other than it can be reconciled would be to betray the gospel itself. Because the basic principle of the gospel we preach is one of reconciliation and redemption in all circumstances. Colossians 1 puts it like this, talking about what God was doing through Jesus. He was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, the gospel we proclaim is, is that says that all things can be restored, that every situation can be reconciled, that every marriage can be redeemed. And we believe this because the blood of Jesus has the power to redeem every single situation. So we should be prepared to fight for it, even though that might be hard to hear. We've been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. You know, two of our teachers in college, well, actually, one was a teacher and one was, he was like a handyman. And they were like an older couple and they were seen as someone to look up to and they were like the most spiritual couple. And she told us once, I've been married twice to the same man. We actually got divorced, but praise be to God, they got remarried <laughs> and married again. Now, that was such an incredible statement of the grace of God. And I know that in this world, God has given people free will and you can't help it if the other person won't listen. I know that. But we can still believe, as for me, for where I can take responsibility, I'm gonna trust God in this. I'm gonna do what I can here. You know, for myself and my wife, we've made the decision that we're never gonna believe that any future problem is gonna be too big for us to handle. And that might be you thinking, well, I'm being naive. No, I'm trusting God's word, which is sovereign over every circumstance. When I have talked about this in wedding ceremonies before, I've had family members challenge me. Someone come up to me saying, who made you the expert on marriage? No one has made me the expert on marriage. I defer to Jesus 
and he is the creator of marriage. His word trumps circumstance. His word trumps the West take on it. His word trumps all situations. And the thing is this, right? If two Christians get divorced, they're going to have to be reconciled at some point anyway, because there is no grudge, you know, in, in heaven, there is no grudges or division. So be reconciled or one of you can't be there. Is ultimately the thing here. See, we pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, there is no divorce and there is no pain and there is no abandonment. So as it is in heaven, that it be on earth. What God has made one should not be undone. Okay, let me turn to the last group before asking the final question of how this is good news for all. For those who are divorced, who have already gone through this, what should you do? Rebuild carefully because God loves you. I want you to know that, that God loves you and the church loves you and we are for you. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. You're not going to hell because you've had a divorce. God loves you and he's for you and he wants you to rebuild carefully because you're precious to him. You're so precious. You're made in his image. He wept as you wept and he's with you in it all. See, the church is to be a hospital for those who've come out suffering on the other side. If you're experiencing despair, the church is meant to be a place of hope for you, a place of restoration, a place of healing. And the key to the rebuilding process, Nikki Gumbel points out, one of the things is to give forgiveness. Am I going to get that on the Sermon on the Mount? We don't have an option. We're commanded to forgive everyone, but also to receive forgiveness. Nicky Gumbel notes almost invariably to some degree both parties are to blame for a divorce. So repent, ask forgiveness, and receive it. Jesus died so you didn't have to carry guilt around anymore. So don't carry it. Jesus said, those who are weary and heavy burdened, come to me. I will give you rest. Receive the grace of God. Jesus came for the brokenhearted to bind them. Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. By his stripes, we are healed. His mercies are new every morning. In him, we are a new creation. The cross is greater. So take the time to heal and lean into him and rebuild carefully. Now, what about remarriage briefly? This is what Tom Wright says in the commentary. It seems clear to me, though not to all writers on the subject, that in both of these cases, divorce is only divorce if it allows for remarriage. To put that the other way around, if one is not allowed to remarry, then divorce has not really taken place. So if in these two cases, divorce is clearly allowed, we must assume that remarriage is potentially envisaged. Now, you might think, well, doesn't Jesus say, but he's forcing someone if they marry them to marry an adulteress. What Jesus is saying is this, that if the man divorces the wife when he shouldn't in that society, the woman couldn't survive on her own. She had to remarry to live. So he was forcing her to commit adultery and create a new union because of his selfishness. That's what Jesus was saying in that one. In general, the consensus is, is that if the divorce was within the concession, or you were the victim of a divorce there, that remarriage is allowed. But the denominations all kind of disagree on how that works. So to give you a scenario, in the Anglican church, you can remarry, but it has to be a civil ceremony. 
and then you have a blessing in church. You can't remarry in church because they want to keep the witness of it as being a permanent thing. In the Greek Orthodox Church, you can remarry twice, and then you're out. It's kind of like, okay, it might not have been your fault the first few times, but by marriage number three or four, you know, come on, that's, that's kind of what they're saying. You could say that's legalistic, but you kind of catch their drift. But basically, you know, for us, we haven't really got a fixed stance on it. But rebuild carefully. God loves you and we love you. And as Jesus followers, it's love and compassion is what grounds us in this. There is no judgment. No one knows what, the other, no one knows what goes on. There's no way to know, but we love you. We're for you. So rebuild carefully in that. Okay, so we've covered a lot there. And the keys can come up. And I'm probably going over again on this one, but it's a big topic. But if what God has made one should not be undone, we've covered the why. We've covered what we should do in, in the different circumstances. But there is a third question that I've left unanswered. You might be thinking, how is this good news for all? Maybe you're thinking, this is still a bitter pill to swallow. It still seems a bit harsh. You know, how is God taking a tough line on divorce? Good news for everyone. Well, it's because God's tough line doesn't come from being petty or angry or judgmental. That's not where it comes from. God's hatred of divorce flows from his love for people. And this is why. This is what we read in Deuteronomy 7 verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. The reason that we should be grateful that God takes a tough line on divorce is because he is the God who always keeps covenant. Always in other words, he is the God who is always faithful. He is the God who is always loving. He is the God who will never, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. The reason we should be grateful that God has a tough line on divorce is because we know he will not divorce us. No matter how stupid we act, no matter how unfaithful we are, no matter what we do, he is faithful. He is faithful. Actually, you could rephrase the key thought to be what God has made one. He will never choose to be undone. He will never go back on it. And that is good news for everybody. It means we can rest totally secure in the love of God. It means we know that when we mess up, he's not going to go anywhere. He still loves us. He promises to never leave us or forsake us unconditionally. And if you've done the journey for enough time, you know that we can be so unfaithful. You know, the, old, the song, the other song, how many times have I broken your heart? And still you forgive. And still you love. My favorite passage of scripture in Romans 8, it 
kind of climaxes by saying, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. See, for those in Christ, there is nothing that can happen. There is no circumstance that can come about. There is no sin. There is nothing that can ever cause him to abandon you, divorce you, leave you. He will never allow that to be undone because he loves you and he is staying for good. And that is something to be grateful for. And the concrete proof of this, and the concrete proof of this is this. It's the cross. Ephesians 5 tells us, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And it ends by Paul quoting, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Paul is saying that when you become a Christian, you enter the church, you become a part of the bride of Christ. You've become part of a marriage union. God has taken Christ and the church or his big picture plan, you know, God and humanity. He has made them one again. You know, the Christmas carol, do our dreams in an hour. You know, God and man have become one. They're one again. And he's never going to break it apart. He's always going to keep his covenant. And now his spirit indwells in us. And he has proclaimed over us what I have joined together. No one is going to put it asunder. No one is going to take them out of my hand. Jesus is the groom who knows all our flaws, all of them, and still loves us and will never leave us. And the power to live out the kingdom ethic on divorce and marriage is found here. To the extent that you realize the vastness of the love and mercy and faithfulness of God is the extent to which you're going to be equipped to be loving and faithful and merciful to your spouse. The extent to which you know that God has loved you, will you be able to love others? God is not asking us to do something that he isn't doing himself. He's basically saying, I'm not going to divorce you, so don't divorce your spouse. Be like me. Be like me. Now, like in our marriages, God is not in control of the other person. You can walk away from God, but he will never walk away from you. He will never walk away from you. See, the secret to life, whether you're married or not, is to be found in this ultimate love story. It's what's going to radically free you in every situation. If you're single, it's going to give you more fulfillment than anything else ever could. And if you're married, whether it's tough or whether it's great, he will be the source of love that you need so that you can give out. You know, in the Christian marriage, it's meant to be like a triangle. It's not just the two of you. It's God and the two parties. And as you both derive your love and fulfillment from God, you give of the overflow to each other rather than looking to the other person to fulfill you, which no human being can do. No one can be God for you. It's a strain that our culture is putting to find that one doesn't exist. God is the one. (laughs) And he will help you to love your spouse, whoever they are. If you don't know him this morning, I want you to know this, that this radical love is for you. Doesn't matter if you think, oh, I, you know, I wasn't sure if the, the, the roof was going to cave in because coming into church, you don't know what I've done. I don't know what you've done, but I know what Jesus has done. And when he died on that cross, he died for you to pay for all your sins and all your mistakes 
so you can know God again. You can be restored. See, it says in 2 Corinthians, what was God doing? God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. You don't have to clean up to come to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He took our place and he died for us. And he promises us that he will never leave us, never forsake us. He will never divorce us. He has made his vows and he will keep them. He has walked down the aisle and he has said yes to you. But for any marriage to be valid, both parties have to enter of their free will. He has paid the price. He's made the vows. He has said yes. Will you say yes to him who loves you with all of his heart? So let's stand together. And if that's you this morning and you don't know where you stand with God, we're going to pray this prayer and then we're going to pray for the married couples as well after that. But come on, let's all of us bow our heads, close our eyes. Let's join in together and make this your heart prayer where you say yes if that's you. Don't let this moment pass you by. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me, that you died for me, that you will never leave me, that you will never forsake me, that you know every sin I've committed and every sin I will commit and you still love me. I am sorry for my sin and all my mistakes. Forgive me and change me and make me new. I thank you that I am now free from my sin, free from guilt, and now I have a relationship with you. Help me to love you and to love others until I see you face to face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, let's thank God for that first of all. If that was you when you prayed that prayer for the first time, welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the love story. Welcome to the kingdom. There's lots of analogies, but you've become part of something incredible. We would love to give you a Bible and help you on your way. So please come and speak to us and one of the team. That would be amazing. But I want to pray to finish for the married couples here. See, God is asking us to take the same stance as him here. But the power to do it is going to be by receiving his love. But also there's another help available. And that's the help of the Holy Spirit. See, he has given us the Holy Spirit because he knows that the Christian life is not meant to just be a bit tough, but we can do it on our own. It's meant to be impossible. The only way you can do it is not by might, not by power, by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. You're going to need supernatural help to do this. This is actually a revival matter because we need the outpouring of the Spirit in this. And I'm going to finish with this quote. The father, Renario Canta de Mesa, was a preacher to the papal household, and he said this, one of the most visible fruits of the coming of the Holy Spirit is the revival of dead or dried up marriages. The Holy Spirit wants to repeat for every couple the miracle of the wedding of Cana. The Spirit wants to transform the water into wine, the water of routine, of lowered expectations, of coldness, into the heady wine of newness and joy. The Holy Spirit wants to do a miracle in your marriage. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you are here with your, your spouse, maybe hold their hand. And let's pray together. I'm going to find mine. She's right here. 
Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of marriage. We thank you, Lord, that it's something precious, that it's something holy, that it's something that points to you, that it's a spiritual picture of the gospel itself, that you loved us. And Lord, you, Jesus, and the church, you've joined us together. And we thank you that you will never leave us, never forsake us. But Lord, I pray that we would take that kingdom ethic through into our marriages. Holy Spirit, I pray, would you help us to love our spouses as you love us? Would you help us to be, as you are rich in mercy, to be rich in mercy. As you are forgiving, to be forgiving. As you are gracious, to be gracious. As you are unselfish, to be unselfish. As you are loving, to be loving. I pray, Lord, would you help us to be like you in our marriages. And Holy Spirit, we pray, would you anoint us? Would you help us supernaturally to do so? Would you come, Lord, and move? I pray, would you stir us to read the Bible together, to pray together, to do this life closely together, we pray. Lord, we pray, would you bless every marriage represented? Lord, I pray for those who here are married with a non-Christian, Lord. I pray, Lord, would you bless their marriages? Would you help them to shine as Christ in that situation? Yeah. Would you guide them, Holy Spirit? Would you give them wisdom? Would you help them? Would you help them to know how loved they are, that you are with them and the church family is with them? Lord, I pray, would you help them, bless them in this situation? Lord, I pray for people who are going through the pain of divorce, who have come out the other side. Lord, I pray that they would know your healing right now. I speak your healing in the name of Jesus over the situations. Holy Spirit, I pray, would your healing oil, would your healing touch fall upon this place? Would every person leave this place, Lord, different? I pray, would we be more convinced of your love for us? Would we be more convinced of your healing, more convinced of your power, more convinced of your ability to redeem than ever before. And Lord, I pray, would you come now, Holy Spirit, and fall on every single person in this place. Help us to be faithful to you as you are faithful to us. Help us to be people who love you as you love us. We thank you that you still love us despite the fact we are such fools. Help us to love you better. And we thank you that in all of this, we can rest forever secure in your love for us. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, that your kingdom come and your will be done as it is in heaven, that it be on earth now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from 21st Century Church. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd appreciate it if you could review and share it on social media. Remember to check us out at 21stCenturyChurch.co.uk for any more information. We'll see you next time.